you would be enthusiastic about staying at your job if you were really happy. I think that's part of the problem is that we keep doing the same thing. Putting our teammates first, putting our team first as individuals, making sure that we show how caring we are as a, a group. We've always had the philosophy that employees should be looking at the culture fit. And we as organizations should look at the culture fit as well. For flexibility for someone's job, what you are actually saying is, I trust, I value you, not just as an employee at our company, but you also have value as an individual. Welcome to The Human Factor, where we talk people, culture, and resources for humans. In this episode, Cole talks with Julie Turney about writing your first book, Rihanna and Burnout. Hello again from The Human Factor. Uh, I am very excited to get into today's conversation. I have with me TEDx speaker, podcast host, author. I always love saying author, right? We all know the work that goes in to writing a book. An advocate to all HR professionals, Julie Turney. Julie's firm works with HR professionals that are feeling burned out. We know all about burnout, don't we? And they need to take control of their careers. Uh, Julie, how are you doing today? Hi, Cole. I'm doing really well today. How about you? I'm doing really well. You are comfortably located in St. Thomas, Barbados, correct? Yes, I am. Okay, so just go ahead. Tell our audience right now, just look outside the window and just, just share with us the weather. Uh, it's actually overcast. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will take your overcast today. I'm uh, right outside of Nashville in Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm looking outside. It's very overcasted today. Uh, we had a little bit of a rain yesterday, uh, which we needed. But anytime you have one of those wonderful cities, if, uh, if, if we say Nashville, people immediately think country music, right? If we say Barbados, people immediately think the most beautiful weather in the world. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, So our our team connected with you on Instagram. um, And Julie, you get it. You get the channel, you get the message, uh, the consistency, as I like to say, um, the authenticity uh, of your message. Um, if you're not, honestly, pause this episode right now and jump over to LinkedIn and Instagram and follow Julie Turney. Uh, if you're listening right now, look into uh, our show notes and we have all the links on how you can connect uh, with Julie below. Uh, Julie, I want to dive right into the conversation. You have been working with HR professionals for some time now, and I'm really excited to get into talking about your book. I see that you launched that book June of 2021, a very interesting time uh, in our world, uh, right, to, to launch a book. But I'm going to dive right into our first question here, okay? So let's talk about post-pandemic, uh, hybrid model, re- remote work, all the things that come around post-pandemic. What are some of your clients saying to you today? Oh, so many things. Where do I begin? Okay. First and foremost, a lot of my clients, because I work specifically with HR professionals, actually struggling with leaders who are now going back or trying to renege on the hybrid model. So now they want people in the office. And and that's a huge issue for a lot of people. It's almost like, did you really get the message of what the pandemic 
was trying to say to us exactly. about how people were struggling with their mental health or, you know, that the way people live their lives is completely different now. And giving people the option to be able to work from home or work from the office is important. Are you not seeing the data? You know, and how the other thing too is how do we make the hybrid model work for us? Because every organization is not the same. And so hybrid can't be a one-size-fits-all. Like, we can't put hybrid models in place for fast food chains. Um, you know, people need to be there to serve food. So how do you create a model where people don't feel as though they're being shafted or they're not being given the opportunity to really benefit from this thing that we're calling hybrid work? Right. That's a very good point. We we spoke with um, individuals like Lisa Perez in episode number three, uh, Rachel Thomas with Bridgestone Americas. They talk about the exact same thing. Lisa talks about uh, issues that are being um, that are coming to her front door now with clients. When it talks about when you do have a hybrid model, when you do have a remote uh, model, and people are at home working, it opens up this entire uh, other. Uh, bag of questions, if you will, and liability and responsibility, right? Uh, if yeah. I'm at home and if I fall and I'm on your time, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really is traumatizing for a lot of people, especially the HR, because they worked very hard during the pandemic to make sure that people could get home and work safely. They worked very hard to make sure that people still felt like they belonged and they had opportunities to grow and learn sure. and thrive despite the fact that they were working from home. And we showed the world that type, you know, that this working remotely um, that seemed so difficult before can be done and it can be done effectively. To then have leaders who are saying, you know what, I want to see my people. I don't believe that people are actually working every time they see they're working. I'm not about giving people the flexibility to, to do their work when they want to do it. And that's what part of the reason that pushed the great resignation, right? Because people have looked at their lives and they've recognized that their perspective on life and work has changed. That's right. And they want to find organizations that are willing to give them what they need in order for them to do their work, but also live their lives in a way that's more meaningful. And so as HR professionals, we are tasked with this retention journey of how do we get our people to stay, how do we give our people what they need, while we're, you know, at the back end, tussling with leaders on, you need to be more reasonable, you need to be more flexible, why don't you think this can work? How can we make this work? Otherwise, we're going to lose top talent. Julie, uh, such a great insight. What do you... Uh, Dare I ask for like a top three, but what would you say are the top things that are, are, are big pain points that you're hearing right now when it comes to, you know, the HR professional has to balance everything that we're talking about as kind of the conduit between um, employee, the, the, the teams, if you will, and, and leadership, right? Um, and, and being there for, you know, all the people in between. What are some of the pain points when it comes to the burnout that you speak of that HR professionals uh, and a lot of other people are going through? But when it comes to HR and HR professionals, what are some of the top things that you're hearing from your clients that, that are just overwhelming? Every conversation after conversation, this, this point is being brought up. This is really a hard one. HR professionals not only struggle with burnout, we also struggle with compassion, fatigue, and vicarious trauma. 
So a lot of times, and, and it could be any combination or it could be all three of those things at any given point in time. And when we talk about compassion fatigue, a lot of times we associate these things with people who are in caregiver positions, doctors, nurses, um, attorneys. But it also applies to HR because it's that exhaustion of constantly caring to people and listening to people's problems. And HR professionals are at that stage where they're just like, it's not that we don't care about our people, but it's just so much. It's overbearing. It's so much to hear. It's so much to feel. It's so much to experience that they're completely exhausted by it. And coupled with, you know, extensive being overloaded with work, that constant back and forth between leaders and people on the ground, it's just becoming completely overwhelming to the point that a lot of my clients are asking themselves if HR is still where they want to be. Wow. If they should be considering making a career pivot because they really are struggling in their rules right now. It's just becoming too much. And a lot of, our, of, of us are exhausted. We are at our pepper and just had enough. So those three things compounded together are really causing our people to struggle a lot. Julie, would you say that, are are you hearing more that when it comes to hiring specifically, okay, so I'm going to kind of change over to hiring, are your clients uh, hearing more that leadership is still wanting to hire the way that they always have um, as an issue? And does that equal uh, or surpass um, supply? Are, Are there as many good people showing up for those jobs, are they able to even find those people and have conversations with them? Um, tell us, tell our audience a little bit about um, those two points. So when it comes to hiring, one of the things that I talk about a lot with HR professional talent development people um, is the importance of recognizing that you have a larger pool than you think. So when we think about that, diversity, equity, and inclusion space, a lot of us miss the people who have neurodiversity and recognizing that sometimes a lot of people do not interview well. We realize that we have to change the way that we interview people, the way that we recruit people, because everyone is not the same. So one size fits all for the interview process has to change. And then people look at me and they go, well, what do you mean by that? So, for example, did you know that people who are on the spectrum for autism are more detail-oriented and they're more creative? Did you know that people with ADHD are more creative and they are also good with attention to detail? But we miss these people because there are lots of signs that you see in the process that go, that person is weird. Is it that the person was weird? Or is it that the person just didn't interview well? Is it that possible that the person had a neurodiversity? And the questions that you were asking were not leading in such a way that really helped the person to be able to answer those questions adequately. And then in comes, now it's time for us to start looking at organizations who help people with neurodiversity to interview well. And working with those organizations to create questions, scenario-based, situations for interviews so that we can bring these people into our organization. Lots of companies are doing it. LinkedIn, Hewlett Packard, 
Um, lots of companies are doing it, just to name a few. Um, Deloitte, lots of them are doing it. Right. So how can we go to those companies and go, how are you getting this done? How are you successfully harnessing this talent? How can we harness this talent? How can we do it effectively? What questions do we need to be asking? And working with those organizations so that you can tap into that specific talent pool and get what you need. And again, it will call for possibly a hybrid model because people with autism um, would prefer to work alone. But if you have the positions that are good for these people to thrive in, then create the opportunities and help them to learn, grow, and thrive in your organization. So when it comes to hiring, we definitely need to change the way that we ask questions and that we recruit people in general. And we also need to be more empathetic and understanding to people's situations when we're going through the recruitment process. We can't go candidates. Candidates could possibly go to us, yes, but we want to make sure that we're doing the best that we can on the hiring end to make the experience as enjoyable as possible for people. It's so true. Uh, Julie, um, great feedback. I, I, I've heard uh, other conversations around how uh, you know, referral bonuses aren't being paid out uh, as quick as they should. This thought process that a, a certain department needs to hire by a certain date or hire this position, yet they're not able to make a decision on the spot when they have the the right candidate, the right as they believe the right uh, candidate in front of them. Um, and so, to your point, a, a lot of uh, leadership has to take a different. Um, a mindset. Uh, we're, we're not in the same uh, world that we were just a couple of years ago. And people's needs, to your point, overwhelmingly, our research, we did a survey um, 10 or 11 months ago at this point. Uh, we call it the culture report. We're actually working on our, our second annual culture report right now. We surveyed 2,501 working and looking for work uh, adults across uh, North America. And what we found uh, was exactly what you're saying. People uh, have... Uh, change their thought process. What used to be yesterday's all-coveted 401k is today's, uh, I want to be happy with what I'm doing and, and, and know that I'm yeah. a part of something as one aspect, right? And many other different things. Mm-hmm. But we know that a culture fit, as one example, is more important to people uh, than a 401k. And it's as important to people as how far they drive uh, for their actual commute there. That was uh, one of the exactly. um, bigger pain points that came back that a lot of people, again, um, um, are having a hard time wrapping their heads around. If you were accustomed to walking outside of your office as a leader and seeing John or Jane sitting in a cubicle, and that's how you checked the box and validated uh, they're at work today, uh, it's, a, it's yeah. a big mind shift. And I've worked with small businesses for 20 years now, and I believe they're the engine of all economies. And yes, you talk about, uh, we all talk about very large companies and large scale, and those are always the examples, but middle America in this example, but mid-sized companies uh, have a real hard time individual when you're a sole proprietor, whether you have an HR uh, professional or you're hiring that service out, you have a hard time wrapping your mind around if you're not uh, retail, if you're uh, maybe even retail, but if you're not food, if you're not manufacturing, if you're not where you actually have to be every single day, this this trust, right, is really this question mark is opening up. Do we actually even trust each other? Do I trust Julie that because you're in Barbados, you can work for our company and you can do this thing? Uh, right. That's a big question going on when, to your point, that talent pool has really opened up wide. Is, is the decision maker uh, being progressive enough to follow along? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Let's shift real quick and talk about your book, Confessions of an HR Pro. Really, uh, really awesome. It's 164 pages. Looks like a very easy read. I skimmed through it. I I, uh, I tell uh, our audience and other people that we've had on that have written books that uh, I am a skimmer. Uh, I am uh, more of an audible person, but um, there were some points in there that I, um, that I really liked. But what I wanted to ask you specifically were, what are, just as an excerpt into the book, you can get it on Amazon. Definitely go check it out again. It's Confessions of an HR Pro. What are, um, what's an excerpt of that book? What, what inspired you to write the book? How long did it take? I always like to uh, hear that. And um, what is the feedback you've gotten? I see the book right there in the background. I've read the reviews. Uh, they're, they're very, very strong um, from other HR professionals across the, uh, the world. So uh, tell our audience a little bit about your book experience. Confessions of an HR Pro, stories of deceit and strength. So it really is the book that I wish that I had at the start of my HR career. And I wrote this book because of experiences that I was having in during the pandemic, in having conversations with other HR professionals. And I had this book in my head, the concept of the book in my head for five years prior to writing it. But the pandemic really spurred me to, to write this book, just listening to the stories of so many HR professionals and uh, realizing that areas and times where I felt alone in my HR career, these people were me. And I, and I wasn't alone. And I, it just encouraged me to, to share these stories and these experiences because there are so many of us out there who are struggling with our mental health, who are struggling with making the right decisions when it comes to recruiting and getting the right talent through the door, advocating for ourselves in in the organization to get our bonuses, salary increases, to get promotions. Like, it really is a struggle in the HR space on that. And I wanted to share other stories so that people would need it and go, okay, I'm not alone, okay, I wasn't crazy when that thing actually happened right. to me. And yes, I actually can rise above it because other people have. And so that's why the why behind um, my writing the book. I self-published and created my book using TikTok videos on YouTube. I to love educate it. me along the way. I immediately start smiling um, when you say self-published because uh, that's the true hustle of of uh, writing a book, right? <laughs> I, I've had the opportunity to work with um, a, a client that uh, wrote their own book, and it's not it's it's not just hey. Aside from the writing, right? You've got to actually then tell people about it. <laughs> tell me how that experience has been using uh, the platforms to uh, promote your book. I on the receiving side of it. Um, I think you're doing a great job. Uh, tell me how that was b- before the book. Um, did you have the the energy on all the channels, or did the book really kind of uh, skyrocket you into uh, the consistency and the and the um, the distribution that you have today? So that's a really good question. I started telling my story before because. Someone encouraged me, one of my mentors encouraged me and said, Julie, you really need to tell your story as you do along so that people can follow your story of the process of writing your book. Sure. Whether it's writing it and then self-publishing it, um, you need to tell that story. And recently I was talking to another one of my friends who said, 
you really need to tell the after story as well, like how it's been since we published the book. But I spent maybe 12 months putting my book together. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because I decided that I would um, crowdsource my book. So the stories in the book are from other people as well as myself. So most of the book is written by me, but there, there are other stories and experiences in there that were written by other people. Sure. And I got that idea from someone on LinkedIn who was like, if you ever want to write a book and you don't want to write it yourself from cover to You're cover, like, one of the best things you can do is crowdsource your book. And I was like, ding, 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 because awesome. that kind of like, that pushed me over the edge to write my book. Sure. Because I was struggling to write it on my own. But then crowdsourcing my book and asking other people if they would be interested in sharing their stories. And then all of a sudden people were like, yes, absolutely. And so that made it a whole lot easier for me to, to put the book together. I was able to focus on the areas that I wanted to, to focus on. And then I was able to put the other stories in as I went about creating the various chapters. And since I self-published my book, I've had a lot of people ask me questions about how I did it. So I wrote a blog about it. I also blog um, from time to time. So I wrote a blog about it so that people could see that it was something that's not perfect. Right. You can that's right. write your own book. Yeah. And how many so professionals are out there just like you that have had experiences uh, writing or not, right? Uh, I think there used to be this thought process that if you weren't really a writer, you couldn't write. Today, there's so many tools out there that really kind of help you along the way. Uh, but um, that being said, you said it took about a year uh, and now we're about a year into it, right? So did you, you published, you actually had it uh, in your hands in June of last year, correct? Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, when did, definitely. what year was TEDx? Was it so? Did the book did the book parlay you right directly into TEDx? So funny enough, what happened again? One of my connections on LinkedIn. Love um, LinkedIn. (laughs) Um, I absolutely love LinkedIn. I was having a conversation with her one day, and I was we were talking about what we wanted to accomplish, and she was actually on her way to doing her first TED talk, and I said to her, "You know, that's on my bucket list." things that I want to do one of these days. So this conversation was happening maybe August of last year, 2021. And she was like, why don't you do it now? And I was like, huh? I'm in the middle of writing my book. I'm not ready to do a TED Talk. She was like, you can do it now. Trust me. You ha- the story is there. You have a great story. It needs to be told. Do it now. And she said, I have a coach that I'm working with. You need to meet her. And she introduced me to her coach that was helping her to land her TED Talk and we had a session. We started working together. And before I knew it, I landed my TED Talk in December last year. So um, by the end of the year, I, w- I knew that I was going to get this TED Talk. And I ended the year sharing with my, my um, community that I would be giving this TED Talk. And it was supposed to be in March. But because of COVID restrictions and stuff, it got pushed back to April. So I ended up going to Austria to give my TED Talk on April 1st. So... Was it everything you thought it was going to be? And then some. I saw the pictures that, that you share, and it uh, I think it was like the studio or the auditorium before you know the people got there, and it's it's pretty daunting. It is very daunting. And then there's a whole bunch of cameras right in front of you, and they're taking 
shots of you at every direction. And then there's still a cameraman on the ground walking through and taking shots as well. And then you have the, this crowd of people just sitting there in front of you, taking in your story. And you're a timer, and right? It's going against a time, right? Well, this is, yeah. And the funny thing is, my talk was supposed to be between 12 to 18 minutes. I think my TEDx talk is 20 minutes, and they still published it. There you go. That's always good. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I have had so much fun having a conversation with you uh, this morning, Julie. Um, again, Julie Turney, founder of HR at Heart Consulting. St. Thomas Barbados is where she is comfortably located, uh, although it's a little overcasted today. Uh, if you want to connect with Julie, all of her links are in our show notes below. Again, go over to Amazon and grab Confessions of an HR Pro. Julie, thank you so much for being on with us. I do have one more question for you. I want you to uh, educate our audience on how Julie Turney defines workplace culture? How would I define workplace culture? It's everybody's business. It's not an HR thing. It's not a leadership thing. Everybody plays a part when it comes to workplace culture. It's not something that we sit down in our office as HR and, and create, and then we push it up to people and go, we have a culture. Everybody is involved in that process. It's a feeling of belonging and sharing. It's how you create a community. That's, that's what culture is. A community of people who, whether we agree or disagree, we still respect each other. We live by a certain set of values, but it's something we create together. It's not something that's created in the fighting. That's the best way I could describe it. I think that is the best way to describe it. Julie Turney, thank you so much. If you have not, please click over uh, to the subscribe button. And if you've liked this conversation amongst others, please do take, we think it's 45 seconds. I, I think I've actually timed it. Go on and leave us a review. Clicking subscribe and writing a couple of words helps this podcast reach so many other people. So Julie Turney, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Cole. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, buddy.